0: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this first episode of 2010, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, and we're going to talk about the big 10th anniversary and some of the exciting things coming up in the future. Then we'll cover the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. In our Top Tips segment, magazine founder and contributing editor David Frixell will reminisce a bit about the founding of the magazine and share some of the top tips found in its pages over the past decade. We'll also be spotlighting another terrific website from the 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list. And we're going to be introducing two brand new segments to the show. In this episode, we're premiering the Family Tree University Crash Course Segment, where we'll cover some of the best elements of our classes and webinars. And then next month, stay tuned because we're going to be adding the Preservation Minute with Grace Dobush, providing quick ideas for preserving your treasured family heirlooms. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Well, it's time once again to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi Allison. Hi Lisa. Well, this episode is a very special one, January 2010, because we're marking a very special anniversary
1: here at Family Tree, aren't we? We sure are. It's our 10th anniversary since the launch of Family Tree Magazine. Boy, it's just flown by, huh? (laughs) It uh, it really, really has. In fact, I have been um, with Family Tree Magazine almost the entire time, so it's really hard for me to believe that 10 years have gone by so fast, but um, here we are. Yeah, exactly.
0: I I really enjoyed um, your kind of flashback article that you did. Looking back over those 10 years, a lot has changed in genealogy, hasn't it?
1: It has. It's um, kind of amazing. And that's one of the nice things about an anniversary is it is a nice opportunity to kind of go back and revisit the past and um, see how far we've come and how far genealogy has come. And it's really remarkable.
0: Exactly. And yet
1: some things remain very much
0: the same. You know, a lot of those basic principles that we all follow are the same. Um, as, as you've been looking back, I know it's been a little bit nostalgic. Take us back and, and talk about kind of where you've been and um, also how you're celebrating. This is a big deal.
1: Yeah. Well, um, those of you who are regular readers will know that we um, you know have gone through a little reinvention of the magazine, You know, still the same um, kind of how-to information, and, and that hasn't changed, and it certainly won't because that's what we know our readers are um, so interested in. But we got um, a new look and um, a new logo and are really kind of freshening things up a bit. And, um, you know, we're very excited about this anniversary as an opportunity to kind of take what we have been successful with um, and the information that our readers have found useful and carry that forward while um, just keeping everything kind of fresh and interesting. And as far as celebration goes, we've got... um, Some events and things happening in this month and in the coming months um, that folks may want to look out for. Um, One thing is we have a 10th anniversary quiz about Family Tree Magazine that we're going to be posting online. If you've been a long-time reader, you can test your knowledge and see just how much you know about um, the the magazine and our our publishing history. Um, We're also going to be posting on our blog um, some of our sort of classic tips from the magazine, the ones that we think are the most important or the most useful based on our tenure here at the magazine. And then we're also going to start up a um, photo pool on Flickr. We've done this before when we had our 10th anniversary contest for somebody to submit a photo that would appear on our cover, and one of our readers did um, have their photo on the January um, 2010 anniversary issue, so that was really exciting. Well, this is going to be more for our our own photos than our ancestors, so we're going to do Where Has Your Family Tree Magazine Been? So take, take a picture of you with Family Tree Magazine in action and post it on the pool, and we will um, be drawing winners from that, picking one to feature in the newsletter um, from time to time and, and just kind of something fun to do to, to celebrate the 10 years.
0: Oh, that is sounds like fun. You know, I know when I travel and I'm carrying my Family Tree magazine with me and I'm reading it, it inevitably catches the eye of somebody sitting next to me waiting for a plane, and they'll ask me about family history. That's always fun. You get to talk about it a bit.
1: Yeah, and we know that people tend to take this with them, you know, wherever they happen to be, if you're at the archives or the library or at the swimming pool <laughs> or the gym, um, you know, just to kind of capture a little bit of that excitement that, that family history brings you in your everyday life.
0: So people can post these photographs up on Flickr?
1: Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a um, photo pool up there on Flickr. We have um, a Flickr account where just look for um, information in our email newsletter. Um, many of you, I'm sure, listening subscribe to that already. But if you don't, you can just go to familytruemagazine.com and sign up for it there. And we'll have all the details um, posted in the newsletter as well as on our blog, The Genealogy Insider.
0: You bet. And we'll have a link to that as well in Flickr um, in the show notes for this episode so people can get involved. It'll be fun to see where the magazine has gone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we're really looking forward to, to seeing what kind of creative pictures people come up with. And where is it going in the future? Anything uh, new coming down the pike? You know, we've introduced some columns and departments that were new in the magazine um, with the January issue. So we're going to keep on with those and see what reader reaction is. We would certainly love to hear from you, um, good or bad, of course. And we're continuing to refine that new design in the magazine. And we really welcome reader feedback to kind of help us figure out where we're um, you know what direction you, it's your magazine, so let us know you know what direction you'd like us to take it in the future.
0: You bet, and I like that i 've seen you know more of the technology type of how to articles, particularly in the toolkit. I know I just worked on one for you uh, on hard drive organization, and you know these are all the things that complement the tried and true principles that we 're always fine tuning, but we have to keep up with the technology side and, and you guys are really helping um, the readers do that, I think.
1: Well, that's our goal. Um, One of the things that we really aim to do going into our next decade is to emphasize the um, accessible information so that we know everybody's busy and you want to be able to pick things up quickly and move on with your research. So, you know, tip boxes and sidebars, resource lists, that kind of thing, just stuff that you can um, really access very quickly and easily and let it help you um, advance your genealogy.
0: Well, fantastic. Hey, congratulations on 10 years. We will look forward to the next 10 years. Thanks. Well, it's time once again to check in on the uh, genealogy blogosphere with the Genealogy Insider Blogger and, of course, Managing Editor at Family Tree Magazine, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Seems like I just saw you. And you did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) We were just in um, Provo and Salt Lake City, Utah, visiting over at Uh, Mm -hmm. Ancestry.com. A lot of bloggers kind of descended on Ancestry for a behind-the-scenes look. And uh, I know that you've already been blogging about it, as have I. Uh, give us your impressions.
2: Well, so much, we learned so much. So much happened. Um, there was a tour of Ancestry.com of the server room that, um, that everybody saw, and they talked a lot about what they introduced last year and what is coming up for this year. So a couple of the things that I think that I was interested in at least um, – the search and also there's some new content that we can expect this year
0: yeah exactly they've been well one of the things I want to mention about the server room was weren't you pretty impressed to see the big machine that held all the credit cards was cha- you know locked up in yes. a box, was in a box. <laughs> <laughs> that was the safest thing I've ever seen
2: yeah it's, uh, it's a little bit of a relief because I know it makes people nervous to have their credit card information stored anywhere online
0: Exactly, they were very high tech there, um, but of course, what we as users are all interested in is, as you say, search, and um they did mention that there were a couple of new things. Happening, it sounds like it's a a continual evolution of improving Mm -hmm. search.
2: Right. Um, Most people know that they introduced the new search, um, I think that was two years ago, and a lot of people weren't satisfied with it and just stuck with the old search. Mm -hmm. And the new search, the new new search, it sounds (laughs) like they're going to bring back some of those things that people miss in the old search. For example, um, one thing that will be added to the new search in the next weeks or months, um, they didn't say exactly when you can add filters to some of your search terms for example you can do just a soundex search or you can um, do soundex and um, names with similar meanings or spellings so that I think soundex was what a lot of people missed especially in the old search so they'll be happy to see that um, for the location you'll be able to add filters that restrict results to just the county that you entered, or the county and the place, um, with the adjacent areas, so that you can um, account for changing borders and things that have happened throughout history.
0: Exactly, and I liked the fact that they were reemphasizing filtering by time frame as well, because sometimes we do those searches and we and we think we've covered a certain time frame, and you end up with, you know, 300 years worth of records. And obviously our ancestor didn't live for 300 years. So it's going to be nice to be able to weed those results down because the lists are just getting longer and longer.
2: Right. And I think um, what they said is that the results will make more sense. There won't be as many of those records that you look at and say, how did this end up in my search results?
0: Exactly. And I liked the fact that on the right hand column, we may be going back to a a little more streamlined browsing capability in terms of Mm -hmm. types of records and and how we get to them if we don't have a lot of specific information.
2: Right. Browsing is one big thing that we always recommend in the magazine when you're having a lot of trouble finding your ancestor's record. And um, if you can browse easier by place or by time frame, then, you know, that just gives you better chances of finding your ancestor's
0: Exactly. Well, that was sure a full day. Gosh, we had the morning at the, um, the server center, if you will, kind of the guts of, of Ancestry, and then the whole afternoon into the evening, um, at corporate headquarters hearing from, all the different areas. And then, of course, there was the Saturday Night Banquet. There was a lot of
2: things going on there as well. There were. Um, they had some customers and some frequent Ancestry.com users. They had people from um, the Federation of Genealogical Societies board were also there. So it was a gathering of a lot of people who are um, who are very into genealogy. And one thing that they did show was a trailer for this um, Who Do You Think You Are series that we've been hearing so much about in the past few years.
0: Exactly. Gosh, that's been a long time in coming. We've had a lot of false starts Mm -hmm. in terms of when that show is going to launch. But
2: hopefully that means we're getting closer. And it looks really good, Um, the whole... Um, you know, with the celebrities and showing them who their ancestors are. And you can see that people are truly affected by learning about their roots. And I think that's what um, Ancestry.com and NBC are trying to relate to the viewing audience. So hopefully we'll be able to actually see it on television. At some point soon.
0: (laughs) Well, and it sounds like there's a lot of changes going on over at NBC. I've been seeing that just in general on the Internet. Talks of maybe Jay Leno moves out of prime time. And, boy, that would open up a lot of time slots. That would be a
2: very good place to put it.
0: Exactly. Wouldn't we love to see that? Well, hopefully soon because... Not only would it continue to inspire those of us currently working on our family history, but it would um, maybe bring a lot of newbies mm-hmm. to the hobby, wouldn't you think?
2: I would, yeah, I do, and I think that would be that would be great. We'd love to see that. Absolutely. Well,
0: I loved seeing you. It was fun to get to get together in person once in a while. It was, and
2: to meet all the different bloggers who are talking about genealogy.
0: Exactly. Well, terrific. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on the Genealogy Insider blog this month because I know that you'll have more to report on um, that whole event, and I appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some of the highlights. Thanks. Well, it's hard to believe, but it has indeed been 10 years since Family Tree Magazine published its first issue. But just how did the magazine get its start? Well, magazine founder and contributing editor David Frixell is here to give us the inside scoop, sort of the genealogy of Family Tree Magazine, as well as share some of his top tips from over the years. Welcome back, David.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, good to have you here. You know, you've been a guest so many times on the show, and you've been talking about the articles and, and uh, great advice for genealogists, but I don't know if all of our listeners realize that you are the founder of Family Tree Magazine. What prompted you back in 2000 to, to reach out to family historians with a genealogy magazine?
3: Well, actually, the company uh, that publishes Family Tree, um, it was an F&W um in Cincinnati, had been doing genealogy books, and uh, some of them had been quite successful, uh, particularly those by uh, um, Emily Croom, for example, um, like the Genealogist Companion and Sourcebook. And m- this was unusual because most of the publications that the company did w- were part of, uh, we like to think it of sort of a family, that is, there would be books, there would be a magazine, there would usually be a book club that also served that same audience. Mm-hmm. So the company served, for example, writers, um, artists, decorative painters, and so forth, um, even woodworkers. So but there was only there were genealogy books, but there was no genealogy magazine to go with them. And so uh, we began to look at you know, the whole genealogy market. It was pretty clear that with things like uh, the coming of the internet, that this was uh, you know, a hobby that was becoming much more popular, in fact, We'd read it was the number two most popular hobby in America after gardening, and yet the real the magazines that served it were primarily for let's say specialists. Um, they were they generally didn't reflect sort of the same kind of you know popular four color treatment that we did in the pages of our other magazines, and so we started looking at. You know, could we create come up with a magazine that would serve this market, and you know the people who obviously were interested they were buying you know the books?
0: Exactly. What kind of a response did you get from the community? I mean, you're you're absolutely right. Gosh, the internet, things really took off. Um was the response kind of the same way?
3: It really was. Well, we launched a website and that sort of began to get you know the word out and then um, produced a first issue, which came out, as you said, in uh, January of 2000. And there really wasn't a, you know, necessarily a clear commitment to do any more after that. It was, it was really sort of a trial, and it went out only on newsstands. But the response to it in terms of newsstand sales, which they measured you know, very precisely, uh, was tremendous. Uh, it, was, it was just overwhelming. So that got you know, things pretty excited, And they did a um, a mailing to people uh, to uh, you know test see where they'd want to subscribe. Meanwhile, we were getting a lot of uh, cards back from that first test issue from people who said yes, yes, you know, send me more. (laughs) The the difficulty was because you know there weren't really any other genealogy mass market kind of magazines. Let's say Mm -hmm. the availability of lists. To mail to to see if they wanted to subscribe was a real challenge. It wasn't obvious who how to reach genealogists out there. Um, but when they finally did put together some lists, the you know response to that initial uh, direct mail subscription offer was again really off the charts. And uh, so uh, with you know that behind them, the uh, the magazine launched um, eventually it sort of start on a quarterly basis and then moved to uh, to bi-monthly.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that as the internet grew, it, it has gotten so much easier to connect up as genealogists. I think people are still finding the magazine today, aren't they?
3: Oh, absolutely, and it's it's really been gratifying that you know you can see how over the years the magazine has helped so many people uh, either you know get through their brick walls in their genealogy if they've been doing it for a long time, or get started in genealogy. And I, I talk to groups uh, every now and then. Uh, who are interested in genealogy, and, you know, they're always so excited to, if they haven't learned about the magazine, to, you know, discover the magazine, because really its mission from the beginning has been to, you know, provide you with the tools in order to, you know, make progress in, uh, in your family history. You know, the, we had the section from the very beginning and all and little sidebars and so forth, you know, called Toolkit, and it really was a lot about, giving people the tools that they needed to, you know, answer those questions, to dig back in the past, to, you know, find their family, preserve their photos, all the sort of things that the the magazine covers.
0: You bet. And I know that, you know, many magazines today, again, now, as the internet continues to grow, have actually gone by the wayside. But I don't know about everybody else, but I still love having my paper copy. I highlight it. I can carry it with me on the plane when I've got to tuck my uh, computer away in the overhead bin. Um, I think there is very much still a place for a printed magazine, in addition to all the great online resources. Would you agree with that?
3: And I think that one of the things from the very beginning that has set Family Tree Magazine apart is that it has served in a in a way as a guide to all that stuff that's online. Yeah. You can have all these wonderful resources online, but without just sort of plunging in and getting lost, it's very difficult to figure out, you know, which are the ones that can help you, or maybe the ones you haven't heard of, or how best to use them. So it's like the magazine now has these web guides, and I've I've written a couple of those, and they're really intensive, you know, step-by-step illustrated guides to how to get the most out of some of these popular websites like Ancestry or MyHeritage. And so I think the print medium is still very valuable in that way in that it can serve as sort of an entry point to all the stuff that's online. Because otherwise, you know, you, it, it's like when you do a, you know, a Google search. If you get 400,000 hits, that's about as useless as getting none. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Family Tree Magazine sort of likes to show you how to get those hits that are useful uh, on whatever website you're using. So, you're not just spending your time clicking and really not getting anywhere.
0: Exactly. And that brings me to your terrific article in the January 2010 issue. It's called Vintage Advice. And I love this. You went back through, you know, a decade worth of issues and really picked out those top 10, you know, proven genealogy bits of advice. And of course, the one that stands out. Right Number one, looking for clues in clusters. Um, that is a classic, and yet I think over the years, the magazine has continued to build on that concept and give people um, new advice, and, and you talk about that as far as uh, over the years, how it's been addressed.
3: Exactly. Well, in fact, when I give talks to genealogy groups, this is almost always one of the things that I that finds its way into the talk one way or another. And I really did learn it from Emily Croom, uh, who made a point of it in one of our very first issues. And I guess it seems obvious once you, once you know it, but mm-hmm. if you're a you know, beginning genealogist, it's, it's a very different concept. It's that, you know, back then, our ancestors did not just, you know, call uh, you know, van lines, pack up their stuff, and move to another town all by themselves. Not <laughs> usually. Yeah. Typically, you know, they moved in clusters. They may have been other family. They may have been friends and neighbors. Those friends and neighbors may, in turn, then have married into them and become family. You see that a lot. And so as you're tracing your family backwards, when you get stumped, you know, it's really valuable to try to look at who the other people in their cluster were, and maybe you can find them. So if, you know, if your family moved, as a bunch of mine did, from Virginia to the Carolinas to Georgia to Alabama, um, The odds are that they moved with a bunch of people and that the people that you find them with in Georgia may indeed be related to people they were back with, you know, maybe decades ago back in Virginia or back in England. Um, So if you trace them that way and think about them in those clusters, uh, you can often break through the the brick walls that can be so frustrating for genealogists.
0: Exactly. Nobody lives in a vacuum, do they?
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly And it is, I think, very different from Maybe that's why it's difficult for us sometimes To think about it today Because it's so different from, you know, how people are now I mean, we're living in New Mexico Our parents were in South Dakota They were, in, you know, my dad's said was in Illinois They just move all over now But back then, it was much more in those these cultures And these patterns of migration And um, moving together And as I know, they often intermarried You know, you you didn't have you know Match dot com or eHarmony to find dates with. So typically you end up marrying the same friends and neighbors that you moved with from you know Virginia or Massachusetts or whatever.
0: Yeah, thank goodness. It actually makes our job seem a little easier than maybe our descendants' job will be. But yeah, hey,
3: you can you can see it in you know, census forms that you know you you look instead of just looking at your family on that census uh, document. You know, I've learned to scroll up and scroll down and. Yeah, often, oh, there's neighbors. There's the, uh, those names are suddenly familiar, and sometimes there's some relative, and you'll find your missing relative living in their household, even or as a servant to them, or you know, all those all those sort of connections that they're uh, uh, you know all in much more tight kind of social organizations than maybe we're used to, you know, today when maybe you never even see your neighbors.
0: Exactly. Let's, let's
3: marry them. You
0: know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrific advice, and and again, there's advice in here about search engines and timelines and all of those really good basics. And I love the fact that you kind of layer the advice from over the years. Um, again, the article is called Vintage Advice. It's by David Frixell and uh, even though I know that you've gone on to all kinds of other exciting projects. We're always thrilled to see your articles in the magazine because they are always chock full of usable advice. Um, David, thank you so much for joining us and helping us get a little nostalgic here on the podcast. Bye-bye. The 101 Best Websites list has been around since the magazine began, and it's interesting to note some of the websites that were listed in the first list a decade ago that have definitely gone by the wayside, and yet there are some enduring sites that made the first list and are still among today's 101 best. A great example of this is the US GenWeb Project website at usgenweb.org. Established in 1996, this all-free volunteer site continues to flourish, and what's even more impressive is that it is completely volunteer-driven. Whether you're new to genealogy or have been at it for decades, US GenWeb is one site that you need to be familiar with and visit on a regular basis. So head over to usgenweb.org with me and let's take a quick tour. The nice thing about this site is that it is organized the way we think, in terms of genealogy, and that is by location. Over on the left-hand column, you'll notice a complete list of all of the states in the United States, as well as territories that existed over time. And uh, the first thing that you want to do is determine where it is that you want to do your research. In my case, I do a lot of research in Sibley County, Minnesota, where my husband's family is from. And so, over in the left hand column, I would just click Minnesota. And here you will find the uh, home page for the state of Minnesota. One of the first links I see here at the top is choose a Minnesota county to visit. And so, I'll just click on that. So, we're going to drill our way down here, and here is a page with all of the different counties showing the volunteer coordinators that are responsible for those various web pages. And that's one of the things to remember, is that this is an all-volunteer site. Each county website within USGenWeb is run by a genealogy volunteer, so that means that every single county website within the USGenWeb project is going to be a little bit different. Each one is unique to the coordinator who runs that site. And so um, you're going to find a variety of information and layout within these. So I'll just scroll down here and click on Sibley County. And that takes me to the USGEN website for Sibley County, Minnesota. Here you're going to find all kinds of information that has been collected by the coordinator and the various researchers within this area. If I'm a researcher within this county and I have some great information or I have a, a maybe an old directory that I want to offer lookups for, I would just email the county coordinator and typically you'll find their email address at the bottom of the page and uh, they can add that information to the website. All of the different researchers who are searching within this county will have different resources, and they may be unique, uh, one-of-a-kind resources, and this may be the only place online where they're listed. So, for example, if I'm looking for what are the cemeteries in this county or what newspapers were in existence at different time frames, this is a great place to look. Typically, you'll find those kinds of headings on a county web page, and you can check and see what kind of information that they have. And you'll also find that the various researchers that participate in U.S. GenWeb oftentimes will offer to do lookups. And so look for those links. Those are some of the key links within the U.S. Gen website. So keep an eye out for that resources and lookup link. There I have found folks who are willing to head to a nearby cemetery and take a photograph for me of a, of a grave site as well as people who have had those one-of-a-kind, unique uh, city directories and are willing to do a lookup for me online and email me back the information. Also, most of these county pages allow you to contribute your surnames. So again, this is just one way to connect with other researchers who may be researching the same surnames that you are, and better yet, they are researching those names within the same county that you are. And that typically means a a greater chance of researching the same families and therefore having information that you can share. It's also, as I said, really easy to contribute to these pages. Again, these are volunteer-driven. So um, email the coordinator for your county that you're looking at. Let them know. Oftentimes, they'll accept digital photographs, as I said, the lookups. Or perhaps you've typed up um, an index of a record collection. All of those things can be contributed to a county webpage and can be added on for everyone to use. Now, one thing that you'll notice about these websites, again, because they are run by a different volunteer coordinator for each of the county pages, some may offer a search box, some may not. One of the tips that I often give on my own Genealogy Gems podcast is to use Google Site Search to search a county website on US Web, if indeed that that site does not offer a search box. Because you, as you can imagine, over the years, they've been around since 1996, there are pages and pages and pages of information. It could really become cumbersome trying to comb through all of the pages that are buried within this site. So h- quickly, here's how to do a site search of a US GenWeb county website. Head to google.com, and type in the information that you're looking for. So within Sibley County, I might be looking for uh, Winthrop, which is a town within Sibley County, and Larson. So if I type in Winthrop plus Larson and put a space and then type the word site, S-I-T-E colon, and then put in the URL address for the homepage of the Sibley County, Minnesota USGEN website and click go, it is going to search the entire site for me and pull out in the results all of the pages that include the word Winthrop and the word Larson. What a terrific and quick way to get to the information that you're looking for within these homegrown county websites. And finally, be sure to check back because the U.S. GenWeb Project is continually evolving. New information is being voluntarily added every day and that means that you're going to want to be checking back. And here's a tip for you. Scroll to the bottom of the home page for the county that you're interested in and check and see if it says when the last update was done. Uh, As you can imagine when they add new information again it might get buried within the site and be difficult to find. So that will give you a quick look to see whether or not new information has been added since the last time that you visited. And then again, you can always use that Google site search to very quickly pull up the results and see if anything new has been added for those families that you're looking for. Well, that's a quick tour of the USGEN website. It is definitely one worth checking back with on a regular basis and one that we certainly hope we're going to see for decades to come on the 101 best website list. Ongoing education is such an important part of good genealogical research, but time is also limited, so we're very excited to introduce this brand new segment of the show. It's called the Family Tree University Crash Course, where we'll cover some of the best elements of our online classes and webinars. Today's topic is organization tips from our January webinar entitled Organization Made Easy five simple ways to get your family history in order and here to help us get organized is the webinar instructor and editor herself allison stacy hi allison hi lisa glad to have you back i'm really looking forward to this new segment because it's going to be chock full of um, some of the great tips that are coming out of the new classes and webinars that you're holding there at family tree magazine
1: yes, it's going to be very exciting and hopefully also very useful to our readers and listeners. Well, I
0: had a blast doing the the newspaper webinar. That was so much fun, and it was really cool to be live and interactive with um, the readers themselves and answering questions and really seeing live online how things operate. And your topic for January is just perfect. It's organization tips, and that's something we all need, isn't it?
1: Definitely, and I think it's something that's very top of mind for people at this time of year because we're all um, you know, thinking about New Year's resolutions and wanting to start um, the year off right on, the, you know, on a good foot with our genealogy as well as the rest of our lives. And so it seems like a really good time to take a look at this topic and give people some advice so that they can start the new year off right.
0: So what um, areas of organization are you going to be covering? Are we talking on our computer, in our office? I mean, it seems like every area of our genealogical research needs a bit of organizing.
1: Well, everything does. And um, that's why I'm going to take kind of a holistic approach because um, it's really not helpful if one area of your research is organized and the rest isn't. And it's also, um, I think, important to have a system that really works together. So, you know, your, your organization system is really is only as good as you following it. Um, so it's important to have something that works for you. And I'm going to take a look at how you can um, develop a system that you can organize your paper files, your computer files, and all of this stuff that you accumulate in your genealogy research so that, you know, you can find things when you need to, and know what you've already done and what you haven't, and really keeping track of everything.
0: You know, in working with you, I have come to discover what a true organizational queen you are. <laughs> I mean, you really are disciplined. Do you find that self-discipline is one of the biggest areas? It's not even so much the the um, process that you use, but it's just your discipline in seeing it through.
1: That's really true. And I I say that primarily because um, the bigger the job, the more daunting it is and the more overwhelmed you feel. And if you can really kind of discipline yourself to do a little bit every day, that's manageable. Whereas if you let it pile up, um, into a big disaster, then it's not so manageable. And then you never want to do it It becomes something that you really dread as opposed to something that, you know, you can say, Hey, okay, I'm going to do this today and move on. So, um, we all have our lapses. Even I do. (laughs) I, I have certain things that I haven't stayed on top of in terms of organization with my own family history work. But, um, you know, I think for the most part, um, a good tip that I have and I, I will be sharing with our webinar participants is, you know, don't worry um, too much about tackling everything and feeling like you have to do it all um, before, before you move any further. You know, do it a little bit at a time um, and focus on organizing what you're um, finding going forward so that you don't contribute to making the, the problem worse.
0: You bet. Now, do you have specific recommendations? Like, are you a binder person or a file folder person? Um, Do you find that that really makes a difference? Is there one that is just superior over the other?
1: I don't think there is a a difference. It's really more what you're comfortable with. I actually use myself a combination of the two. Um, I use the you know, binders for um, information that I kind of want to take with me, and then I use folders um, for other things that I just don't need to pull out quite as often. So, you know, I think it's really just figuring out what you're comfortable with and finding a system that makes sense for the kind of genealogy work that you're doing. Um, You know, hole punching a bunch of stuff to fit it into a binder could get tedious if you're not going to use it that way if it's easier to just stick it into a file folder well then you know maybe that's a system you should should use
0: Exactly. So what can people expect if they participate in the webinar? Are you going to have some actual systems where they can implement it following your instructions?
1: Well, I'm going to talk about um, some systems that I use and some that um, I know that a lot of genealogy experts have um, recommended. And then um, I'm going to also look um, a little bit as far as computer organization is concerned like photos is something that a lot of times people don't um, pay a lot of attention to but um, you know there's software that you can use to help you keep those organized in addition to um, a filing system you know that's one thing but then there are these other tools that you can use to kind of help you sort through things or find similar materials and um, those are really good to take advantage of too so we're going to cover a lot of territory
0: Well, great. Well, tell us, how do we get registered for Organization Made Easy, the the online webinar coming up this month?
1: Yeah, it's going to be on January 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern time is the live webinar. And you can register by going to shopfamilytree.com and clicking on the expert webinars button. You'll see the webinar listed there. And then you can just follow the instructions to um, purchase a registration. And one thing that we're um, offering with this particular webinar, hopefully to kind of help people get off on the right foot, as I was talking about earlier, is every... um, person who registers for the webinar will receive one of our family tree magazine 2010 genealogy desk calendars included with their paid registration so they can at least keep their events and genealogy dates in order
0: exactly another way to stay organized i have one i love it the photographs are gorgeous Uh, and those are all uh, reader contributed right they
1: sure are they're really beautiful
0: Oh, well, wonderful. Well, terrific. I'm excited about this um, segment we're going to be doing throughout the year. And I know next month I'm going to be teaching a webinar on Google search tips, which is one of my absolute favorite topics. And we've got some some great tips. So we'll be uh, sharing some of those specifically on the episode next month, and then as well as covering the whole kit and caboodle in the webinar itself in February. So, Allison, thanks so much. We're really looking forward to it. Nothing better than getting organized for a new year. Definitely. so much for joining me for the January 2010 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis, including more about Diane's trip to Ancestry.com at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, head over to FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for all the things that we've covered on today's episode, including how to post your photos of you with your Family Tree Magazine in the Where Has Your Family Tree Magazine Been photo pool at Flickr while you're at the website, be sure and sign up for the free Family Train Magazine e-newsletter and you'll get our free exclusive 42-page compilation ebook called Best of the Photo Detective. If you have any questions or comments, do email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I do hope that you'll visit me over at my website at genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.